You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message, and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Lee Wong. What's up, City Tribe? It's been a long, long time. Uh, Two and a half years, actually. My last time here was July 9th, 2017, and you guys have just gotten even more beautiful. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Love seeing you guys here. Love being here, and I'm excited to be kicking off Enrichmas, this series. And over these next couple of weeks, what we're going to do is try and bring more meaning, more depth, more richness to your Christmas experience. Now, before we get underway, let's go ahead and just invite the Lord into our conversation. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather in your name, to learn about you, to go grow, grow closer to you. And God, we are attentive to whatever it is you have to say, so tear down whatever walls we might have around our hearts. God, give us the ears to hear, the eyes to see whatever it is that you want to do in us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is fitting that I get to kick off this series because I'm a Christmas enthusiast. So much so, the Christmas season for me begins that first Tuesday after Labor Day in September. And that's actually kind of late in the year for me. But I have this tradition where that first Tuesday I get up and I put on the greatest Christmas song ever recorded. What do you all think that is? Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas. That's a great one. Any other suggestions? Okay, so all those are great. And you guys raise a great, great point. There are no bad Christmas songs. But this one is better than all the rest. Check it out. Exactly. Yes. In sync. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. It's upbeat. It's joyful. And the lyrics, they put me in the spirit for the most wonderful time of year when everything is merry and bright. Now, There was a time when Christmas for me was everything but that. So go back with me. 2000, Christmas 2000. Christmas season was in full swing, right? Labor Day had passed. And I was in love. I was going to have one of those Hallmark movie type Christmases. Y'all know what I'm talking about. But just before the holidays, I had my heart ripped out of my chest and played with like she had an uncle named Dennis. Y'all Spurs fans might get that reference, right? (laughs) I was devastated. I was miserable. I lost my appetite. I didn't care about gifts. All I wanted to do was just listen to depressing music and stare dramatically out of windows like Chandler from Friends. (laughs) Now, I remember very vividly, there was this one night, not a creature was stirring in our house, and I laid on our sofa lifelessly And I stared at the Christmas lights on the tree directly across from me. And normally when I focused on the lights, it would have evoked in me all of these feelings of promise about the future, all the gifts that I was going to get to open, a peace about the season, and excitement that I get to see my cousins. But that night, I was overwhelmed with feelings of rejection. I was overcome with a sense of loss and longing and loneliness, and I was overtaken by a literal physical sickness to my stomach. I was just over Christmas. 
Now, we all have our crazy breakup stories, right, from when we were younger. But what's interesting about this one is that those feelings, those emotions from that Christmas were so overbearing. They were so overpowering that for like an entire decade, I kid you not, whenever the cold weather would come about, I would have these feelings of deep sadness that came over me. Whenever I would hear certain songs, I would relive that rejection. And then whenever I saw Christmas lights on trees at night, I would be transported back into time to that night on the sofa, and I would feel that physical sickness yet again. Christmas, for that decade, lost its richness. And it's interesting Right, That Christmas just has this unique way of evoking in us all sorts of memories and amplifying all sorts of feelings, good and bad. Like for some of you, for example, it brings out your inner Buddy the Elf. Right? You love smiling. Smiling's your favorite. And Christmas is an opportunity for you to just be joyful and giving. And you just wrap your arms around everybody. And that's wonderful. That's amazing. We need more Buddy the Elves like you. In fact, I hope this series makes better your Christmas experience. But for every three of you who are like Buddy the Elf, if we were to go around in this gathering here, if we were to go around your neighborhood or your place of employment, there will be two who experience the holiday blues, much like I experienced holiday blues and seasonal affective disorder, those are very real psychological phenomenon. And women, you are twice as likely to experience it. So perhaps for you, it's the chaos of the season and all the different commitments that you've made and trying to close out year-end projects before your vacation or trying to coordinate with with your ex or with your in-laws and maybe creating time to cook. And so you feel overwhelmed with stress, like you just don't have enough time. You can't do it. Maybe it's all of the commercials or this consumeristic culture that we live in that's creating for you this picture that Christmas is all about the gifts that you're able to buy, the gifts that you're able to give. And it's a reminder that this year the budget is just a little too tight. Maybe you're unemployed and so you feel overwhelmed with shame, guilt, inadequate. Maybe it's the cold. The cold weather reminds you that you just want to be cuddled your spouse is deployed, or maybe you've just not yet been chosen and you're wondering when your Christmas will come. Maybe it's all these pictures of kissing couples, couples that are celebrating, that are reminders that your relationship has come a crumbling down. Maybe it's carols echoing in your empty nest that reminds you that your kiddos are all grown up. The grandchildren are several states away. And so what's the point of even decorating? And so you're overwhelmed with these feelings of loneliness and longing and depression. Maybe for some of you, the idea of exchanging gifts, it's a reminder of that tragic Christmas when gifts under your tree remain unopened. And you lost that loved one, and you won't have that exchanging experience yet again. And so every Christmas since then, you've been overtaken by grief and anger, and you're just over Christmas altogether. And if any of that characterizes your Christmas experience, first of all, let me just say, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry for you. I'm sorry with you. I hurt with you. You are the inspiration for this series that you might have an enriched Christmas experience And because I know this, 
that as silly as it now seems with my little breakup, I know that my feelings were very visceral. They were very real. I mean, heck, I carried them with me for a decade, but I also know that they are likely a fraction of what many of you are experiencing. And so my concern for us is this, though. My concern is that you would spend several decades missing out on the richness of Christmas, that you will spend several decades not creating new memories, not experiencing the most wonderful time of year when things are merry and bright, and instead it's miserable and dark for you. And I do not want that for any of us because I believe it doesn't have to be that way. And so it raises for us the question, what are we to do? When we are overcome, when we are overwhelmed, when we are overtaken, when we're just playing over Christmas, what might you and I do that'll enrich our experience? We get help answering these questions from John, who's one of the writers of an account of Jesus's life that's been collected for us in the Bible. Now, John is considered one of Jesus's closest inner circle followers, and historians believe that John wrote his account around the year 90 AD, which would have put him at a relatively old age for that day of 70, 80 years old. Now, by this point in John's life, John would have experienced a tremendous amount of misery, a tremendous amount of darkness, loss, tragedy that very few of us will ever encounter. For example, John had a front row seat, was an eyewitness to watching his best friend Jesus being mocked and beaten and brutally crucified, suffocating on a cross. His side was speared and blood and water poured out of that side. That's got to be traumatic to watch. And then being a known associate of Jesus and being of the Jewish descent, John was forever living his life in danger of being arrested or killed. He was eventually forced to flee his home in Jerusalem to 600 miles away by boat, a place called Ephesus in modern-day Turkey. And he, and later in life, was exiled to the island of Patmos to work in harsh conditions as slave labor for the Roman Empire. Patmos was a lot like an Alcatraz prison for the first century. And then around 65 AD, John would have learned that his childhood friend Peter was crucified upside down for his associations with Jesus. And many others of his friends right around that time were wrapped in fur and fed to lions. They were fed to dogs. They were beheaded. They were clubbed. They were speared. They were stabbed. They were stoned to death. Talk about loss. And then in 70 AD, Whether he experienced this personally or if he learned about this, John would have heard that his beloved Jerusalem, the center for culture for his Jewish people, it was besieged by the Roman Empire, surrounded 1.1 million men, women, and children without discrimination were slaughtered. Supply lines were cut off. There was no food that was able to get in. People began to starve and plagues began to break out. And anybody who was a survivor, 100,000 people, they were either shipped off into slavery to Egypt or they were forced to fight as gladiators in arenas. His friends and family murdered. His home and culture destroyed, burned to the ground such that historians believe it looked like no one lived there. His freedom stolen from him. If ever there was anyone who had nothing left to live for, it would be John. 
If ever there was anyone whose life was characterized by misery and darkness, it was John. And so with this as the context for what John was going to write, with this as the backdrop for his account and his perspective, what do you imagine John's message to his readers would be? Well, at the end of his account, this is what John wrote. You can follow on the screen. He said, he, referring to himself, who has seen, has testified. I I'm an eyewitness to these things, and I have evidence for what I am saying. And he knows he's telling the truth. I swear to you that what I put in writing is absolutely true. And these things have been written so that you might believe. I'm writing this thing because I want you to believe in something, and that by believing, you might have life. John's message to us was No matter what you've experienced or are experiencing, no matter your misery, no matter your darkness, there is an enriched life for you. I have evidence for it, he was saying, and I'm living proof of it. Think about this. It is surprising that given all he'd experienced that John would be inspired to write anything at all. It's even more surprising that John didn't write something like all hope is lost. The only thing certain is death and taxes. Life sucks. Instead, in perhaps the last season of his life, in perhaps his final days, with compassion for us and conviction about what he had seen, John was compelled to make sure we knew what he had experienced so that we could experience it as well. Now, what exactly did John believe What did he experience? What did he want you and I to believe today? Well, in the first few sentences of his account, this is what he recorded. He said, in Jesus was life. The enriched life that you are seeking is found following Jesus. And the life was the, finish this next part with me, the light of men. Let's try that again. And the life was the light of men. Now, this was a huge, huge statement, a huge statement, so huge that you and I today, we don't really fully appreciate it. It was so huge that John recorded it 32 other times throughout his account. You see, John lived in the first century. Before there was electricity, before there was technology, before there was clap on lights, before there was Alexa, get the lights, before there was a push of the button on your phone for a flashlight, before you and I could navigate the streets at nighttime because they were lined with lamps. In John's day, everyday activity, whether it was cooking, whether it was playing or working or farming, everything, his livelihood, his economy was contingent on literal physical light. Where there was no light, there was no life. Where there was no light, there was no life. And this is John's point. This is what he's wanting you to believe. This statement was a declaration that Jesus, like light, is the most fundamental need for all of creation. And that apart from Jesus, nothing at all can prosper. Nothing at all can experience peace. Nothing at all can have any promise for a better future. Now, John, also being of Jewish descent, light had other significant symbolism. So significant, it has huge implications for us. And so here's what we're going to do. 
For the next few moments, we're going to hunker down and we're going to go through a Johannine crash course, a crash course through the account of John, right? We're going to go really, really fast. So I need you to stay with me. It's going to be like drinking whatever water out of a fire hose. Can y'all hang? Yes. All right. Get your phones out or whatever you use to take notes, put your thinking caps on. We're going to go really, really fast in this crash course to understand what John believed about light what it communicated about the attributes of Jesus that he wanted you to believe, and what it communicated about the life that we can experience. Ready? Okay, two people are ready. All right, I'm going to talk to y'all right here. All right, you ready? All right, let's go. Okay, so light in the first century to a Jewish John was a not-of-this-world power that was uncontainable. It provided, it preserved, it protected, and it was freely available to all people. You cannot contain light. And so what this communicated about Jesus that John recorded is that Jesus, like light, is all-powerful. It's all-present. It's infinite and eternal. And he records these things in ways where it's like you see Lazarus, a dead person being raised to life. And he heals individuals from a distance because he's all present. So what that means for us is that you and I can have a life of power and peace, a life of power, recognizing that with this all-present, all-powerful God, there is nothing that can come against us. There is nothing that is impossible. And that we can have a life of peace knowing we're in total control and all of our needs will be met. We need not worry about death either because our life is eternal when we follow Jesus. How y'all doing? You still with me? A lot of info. All right, let's go. Next one, light. First century John, what he saw was that light was an agent that enabled clear sight. It allowed for people to engage in safe activity, right? So they wouldn't stumble, so they wouldn't get hurt. And what this allowed for was prosperous production. The animals could graze and the crops could grow. And so what this communicated about Jesus and his attributes is that Jesus is all-knowing and all-seeing, that he's all-righteous, right? Jesus knew people by name before ever even meeting them. He had several opportunities to be immoral, but he never did. There was no darkness in him. And so he's the source of truth and justice. And what this means for us, what John wanted you to believe, what we want you to believe is that the life you can experience is a life of prosperity, and purpose. Because if you are following the source of truth, then there's going to be wisdom. You're going to know the right thing to do, not ever make any major missteps. And with that, people are going to see your influence. They're going to influence is going to grow. Your impact is going to grow. So you have a life of purpose and prosperity. How are we doing? Still with me? All right. Last one. Here we go. So light to John in the first century, his Jewish background, his roots. It was an energy that radiated warmth. Remember, they didn't have heaters back in their day. They depended on the sun. They also depended on the sun for medicinal purposes. It was for purity and to boost your health when they would sunbathe and sun gaze. And sun was an indicator that the new day had started. It awakened us. So what this communicated about Jesus that John wanted you to get is that Jesus is all generative. He makes things new. That he's all loving, he's all gracious, his warmth is spread to all people. What this means for you is that you can have a life of passion and promise. 
a life of passion where you can feel fulfilled and engaged. Once again, a life of promise that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you're loved, you're accepted, you're worthy, and there is a future for you. So let me tie a bow on this crash course, all right? Here's the tie, uh, the bow that's getting tied. Simply put, John wanted you to believe, based on his firsthand experience, that Jesus was all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing, all-righteous, all-generative, all-loving. In other words, he was God in human form, and that him you can have an enriched life, a life of purpose, passion, peace, power, prosperity, promise. Come on, who wants that kind of life? Anybody up in here? That was just the crash course through John's account, right? But that's just what John wanted you to believe. The question for us really, though, is why? Why did John believe all of these things about Jesus despite the misery and the darkness that he experienced? With the persecution and martyrdom of his friends, all of the loss, why would John maintain the belief that Jesus is God and the most fundamental need for all of creation? Why should you and I believe that? What John wrote next is pretty insightful, so pay attention to this. It is powerful. Here's what he wrote. He said, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In 90 AD, six decades after Jesus was crucified, John believed that darkness had not put to death Jesus, that darkness had not overcome him. In perhaps the darkest, most tragic time of his life, when it appeared the darkness of the immoral religious leaders had been victorious, when it appeared the darkness of a sealed tomb, housing Jesus's rap course was the punctuation to his death. The impossible happened. John learned that Jesus's tomb was empty. And so he sprinted to the tomb and he peered in and he saw that it was in fact empty. And so shortly after that, huddled with his companions, trying to figure out their next steps, to their surprise was a resurrected Jesus, proving he was all powerful, all generative. And then it happened again. Jesus appeared and said, peace be with you. To their surprise, Jesus had overcome death. But then, a few days later, on the shore of the Sea of Tiberias, John had breakfast. He shared a meal with Jesus. And so it's not like John just heard these rumors about a resurrected Jesus. It's not like this thing he imagined. It's something that he was an eyewitness to. But not only that, he experienced the transformative power, the emotions that came along with seeing Jesus. And so what I imagine is that anytime John saw the sun rising, anytime he saw a candle that was lit, anytime he saw a torch in the darkness that was lit, John, of him, reminded of the times that he shared with a resurrected Jesus, and not just the sight of him, but the emotions of seeing a resurrected Jesus, the purpose, the power, the peace, the promise. And so this is why John believed that you can have an enriched life. This is why you can believe you can have an enriched life. It's why he wrote his account, why he wanted you to believe. Now, 
I know what you might be thinking. I know some of you might be thinking, but Lee, don't you listen to the news? Don't you scroll through social media feeds? Can't you see that our world is getting darker and darker? Haven't you heard that the Cowboys and Spurs suck this year? Like there is no hope at all. This might intrigue you. In the last decade, several respected researchers, economists, psychologists, sociologists, physicians, historians, journalists, they have come together and they've analyzed indicators of human flourishing, whether or not we are living enriched lives. And their findings are off message with the media. They're very peculiar. Here's what they found. You and I, we're living in history's most peaceful era with violence of all kinds in steep decline. Open slavery has been abolished. Women all over the world are being elevated as equals. People are rising out of extreme poverty at an extraordinary rate. As a whole, people around the world are eating healthier, more nutritious meals. Standards of literacy, sanitation, life expectancy have never been higher. Child mortality rates all around the world had plummeted drastically. And while the world is nowhere near where it ought to be, we've got a whole lot of work left to do. You and I, we enjoy luxuries and enriched life that no other generation in human history could have even fathomed. In fact, Nicholas Kristof, the journalist for the New York Times, he declared last year, 2018, the greatest year in human history And given the upward trends in education, technology, human rights, these researchers suggest that you and I can have a justified confidence that the world, it will just keep getting better. It's as if the light is shining in darkness and the darkness is not overcoming it. But here's what's most compelling about all of this. It's what journalist John S. Dickerson has discovered. John Dickerson led a 10-year, a decade-long investigation to explore how our world has changed so drastically. And he wrote his findings in a book called Jesus Skeptic, and this is how he summarized it. He said, Jesus' followers, motivated by the ideas of Jesus, have led world-changing innovations that have benefited humanity bettered education, health, freedom, and society. Jesus' followers have done this on a scale that is unrivaled by any other single movement or group in history. If these advances were moved from history, if the light did not shine, then you and I would be living in a vastly different world comparable to that of, get this, the dark ages, a barbaric brutal world that held humanity captive for so many thousands of years. It's as if what the Apostle John wrote was true, that a light shines in the darkness, and for 2,000 years, darkness has not overcome it. But John Dickerson didn't stop there. He continued with a personal note. Here's how he concluded. He said, now my relationship with Jesus has brought me consistent identity, security, purpose, fulfillment, peace, and joy that I never experienced anywhere else in this world. I am tasting and experiencing things, an enriched life that I never tasted apart from Jesus. 
It's as if John's introduction that in him was life and the life was the light of men is true and that light shines in the darkness and darkness has not overcome it. Now, if that's not enough, I can attest to this personally. So go back with me in time. Christmas 2000, when I laid lifelessly on the sofa, I hadn't eaten for a couple of days, so my mom did what any loving mother would do. She took me to a buffet. And I reciprocated, and I did what any honoring son would do, and I made sure my mom was first to wait at the table while I got my food. And so I sat down at the table, and in front of me, I saw in my mom's handwriting, as she had done so many other times throughout my life, a note that read this. Lee, smile. And seeing this, I was even more broken because I'm like, man, my pain is adding to my mom's pain. She hates to see me hurting. And so I mustered up a fake smile, and I said, thanks, Mom. And she responded perplexed, like, for what? I said, for this note. She said, what note? And I said, the one that you clearly wrote in your handwriting. And she said, I didn't write that. I said, and who did? She said, your server. I said, mom, all embarrassed. Mom, you told her I'm heartbroken? Come on. She said, no, that's your server's name. And I thought, what evil parent would name their child Lee Smile? So I signaled over the server. I said, excuse me, uh, is this your name? And she said, oh, yeah, I'm so sorry for my scribbles. It's just I do this all day long. And I was like, well, what is your name? And she said, Luzmila, L-U-Z-M-I-L-A. Luce. Luce, meaning light. Milagro for miracle, that I would be a miracle of light to people who are in the dark. Let me know if there's anything else I can get you. And I was like, whoa. Like, what are the odds? What are the chances of this? Like, was this an angelic messenger? And so we finished our meal, and I just wanted to say thanks to Lusmila. And I am leaving, and I asked the hostess, excuse me, can I chat with Lusmila? And she said, I'm sorry, sir. There's no Lusmila here. I was like, what? She was just my server. She said, sir, I can't help you. There's nothing I can do. And I said, how can that be? She said, well, sir, she's currently on her break. You'll have to come back a little bit later. Uh, I'm like, why would you say it like that? You know what I mean? Like, say, Well, here's my point. I didn't appreciate it at the time, but looking back at it, Looking back at that experience, it's as if in my darkness, Jesus shined a light to say, smile. Everything is going to be okay. I have prepared for you an enriched life that you cannot yet even imagine. You've not yet even experienced. And after a decade of darkness, I can say that he was right. <laughs> you know, having now followed Jesus for more than a decade now, it's like it drowned out all of that darkness. And you can chalk it up to maturity. You can chalk it up to time, fine, whatever. But I promise you, there is a stark difference from that decade of darkness to 
now following Jesus for over a decade. There is an enriching life, a life of purpose, a life of passion, a life of peace and prosperity and promise that you can experience. And I'm telling you right now, this Christmas is going to be the greatest Christmas ever with new memories, new traditions. Because first of all, I get to experience it with you guys. And secondly, you know, the star on the top of the tree, I have a eight-month-old daughter, and I get to experience that for the first time with her. And it tastes so sweet, like John Dickerson said. And so my message to you is the same message that the apostle John said, that the journalist John Dickerson said, is that in Jesus, the most fundamental need for all of creation, there is life. And the life is the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness. The darkness will not overcome. And so in your misery, in your darkness, when you're overcome, when you're overwhelmed, when you're over Christmas, let us not, our, let us not have our emotions and our circumstances be our focal point. But let us fixate and focus on the light. So here's my invitation to you. This Christmas, let's focus on the light. And I'm inviting you to join my wife, Christine, our daughter, Zoe, and me in adopting this new tradition. When you are plugging in your Christmas lights next time, when you set them up, maybe this weekend, maybe you guys set them up in September like me, Next time you plug them in, I want you to gather the kiddos all around. I want you to gather the grandchildren around. Or maybe when you're taking a stroll through the neighborhoods, when you're driving through those lots that have lights everywhere, I want you to just pause and focus on the light. And I want you to declare what John declared 2,000 years ago that still rings true today, that the light shines in darkness, darkness has not overcome it. And then we'll just ask Jesus to allow us to experience the light that is life. And so we're going to practice that right here a couple of times. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand and you can break those little lights that you were given as you came in. And when you're standing, I'm going to say a few words. And then I'm going to say because and point at you and you're going to read the words that are on the screen. Pretty clear, right? In a moment, you're going to stand I'm going to say a few words, then I'll say because and point at you, and you'll read the words on the screen. Pretty clear? All right, would you guys go ahead and stand? this tradition will be a marker that will start enriching your Christmases going forward. But here we go. You ready? If you are overtaken with worry or fear, when you look at the lights this Christmas, be reminded that you can take heart and trust that Jesus, as he said, has overcome the world. Why? Because... If you're feeling overwhelmed with loneliness or longing, maybe you're feeling lost, needing some sort of direction, 
This Christmas, when you look at the lights, be reminded that Jesus' helper, the Holy Spirit, will bring you peace, will be your counselor, will be your guide. Why? Because... And if you're overcome with grief, overcome with depression, missing your loved one this Christmas, when you look at the lights, be reminded that Jesus said an hour is coming when the dead will be resurrected, that right now they're just sleeping. You will see them again. And you can believe this. Why? Because. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for the obedience. John's recordings, his evidence, his eyewitness testimony that testified to who you are, that you are light, the light of all men, and that in you is life. We thank you for John Dickerson's investigation that prove that your light is still shining 2,000 years later. And so our ask of you, Lord, is this first of all, that you would help us focus and fixate on that truth, that your light is still shining. And also that we would experience what John experienced, what John Dickerson experienced, this life, this enriched life of purpose, passion, peace, power, promise, prosperity. Lord, that is our ask of you. Make it very real for us. Enrich our Christmas. Now, there are some of you here visiting perhaps for the first time. Maybe you've been towing this line of faith and perhaps our conversation today was evidence for you, enough evidence. The apostle John's eyewitness testimony, John Dickerson's investigation was evidence for you to say, I now believe. If that is the case, you can pray a little prayer like this, keeping it simple. Jesus, I believe you are the light of the world. I believe your light still shines. You are God, and I'm submitting to you. And if you prayed that, we believe you've become a child of God and that you can experience an enriched life now and for eternity. And so, Lord, my prayer is for all of us here that you would cement in our hearts that seed that was planted today, that your light shines in darkness, darkness will not overcome it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We're glad you were part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.